Welcome to Empowered Conversations. I'm your host, Susie Petrozzi. This podcast will take you on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery through conversations with special guests that will inspire you to live the life of your dreams. Get ready now for an Empowered Conversation. Welcome to Empowered Conversation. Susie Petrozzi here with you today and a very, very special guest. So let's dive right in and find out who is this incredible, wonderful guest. Um, Rachel Smith, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Susie. Thanks so much for having me today. Um, I'm Rachel. I'm an occupational therapist. I'm a yogi, a meditator. Um, and someone who's really interested in journaling, writing. Hmm. It's not often we get that. Tell me a bit about that. Tell me more about the journaling. I'm kind of working backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, journaling started as a curious interest where I started to write and it didn't flow you know, I wanted to do it, but it just didn't flow. But it was something that I tried as a, a habit, um, you know, picked it up every now and again. And then I started to notice as I wrote, I began to understand more about myself as I started writing. And then when that happened, everything changed because then I could see my thought processes on the paper. I could see the decisions that I was making, the feelings I was having, the behaviors that I was doing. And actually that's where I guess the empowerment came in because then Mm. I wanted to change the way that I was doing things. And writing was a really nice way of being able to read that and reflect back on that. Okay. Part of me really wants to go down this path a little bit because, um, Journaling is something that's very dear to my heart, but also a lot of people that I speak to um, want to start journaling, but they find it difficult knowing how and you know what they what what they should journal about. So, how did you know how to how to start journaling and where like what to do? You, where, where do you start? Yeah, this is a really great question because I think about this a lot because it's now something that's so easy for me, but I remember how hard it was at the beginning. Um, So I think for someone like me, I mean, people are different, um, but for me, I needed a more structured scaffold. So I needed questions or prompts that could start the sentence for me and then I could continue. And when I had that same question written down each day, then it became a habit of being able to think in that way, which meant the thoughts Mm. came more freely and the writing came more freely. And then as it becomes a habit, I was able to relax and release into it. And then I didn't really need the questions as much anymore. I could just free write. Mm. So I think when a lot of people are thinking about journaling, they think about, I just need to be able to get out my book and write. Yeah. But a lot of people will feel resistance to that because what they're writing is actually what's in their mind. And sometimes we might not be very comfortable about what's in there being written down in front of us as well in that way. Mm. Um, So I think that's why some of us feel a bit of resistance or we feel like maybe what's there is not worth writing Mm. um, or why would we write? So 
sometimes we need to see that evidence first mm. of why we should do it. And um, a structure for me was a really good way of getting that process started when I couldn't see the outcome or the, mm. the, the change that I could make from writing. Mm. This is really interesting and so important because if I think about my own journaling, I usually write verbatim. And whilst that is great for me, um, I wonder if having more of a structure in in what you're saying, like that scaffolding, um, would help with like really kind of like what you were saying, attuning your thinking to that which needs your attention or, you know, getting quicker into that space. So, can I ask you a little bit about what might be some, obviously it's going to be different for everyone depending on what's going on for someone in their life at that you know point in time, but what might be some starting questions? Like if you're someone who's thinking of journaling, but you're like, where do I start? What might be some great starting points? Mm-hmm. I think it depends on like, it might come more down to that intention. Like what is the purpose around you writing? Is it that you mm. want to understand your thinking? Is it that you want to change habits or behaviours? Or is it that you just want to feel a bit better? Mm. So you kind of need to decide in some ways where you want to go with it to be able to structure the question around it. So for me it was around just wanting to feel better in some ways, like just wanting to feel clearer you know, I think we spoke about clarity for me a few years now mm-hmm. ago. And for me to get clarity, I just started journaling about clarity. Ah. What does clarity mean? Uh, where would I find clarity? How would I find clarity? Um, I think it all comes down to the um, the WH questions, where, how, why. And that's a very simple like most questions we ask and write about are where, how, when, and why questions. Mm. So it doesn't mean you need a template. You kind of just need to ask a question that's under Mm. one of those question structure formats. And then it was, for me, it was also about behavior change. So um, to do that, I needed to know what behavior I'd like to not do anymore, what Mm. behavior I would like to try to do, And then a key part of this was thinking about how I felt now and then how I would feel with the new behavior in place. Love that. Um, And then if I did that every day, Mm. what I saw was my behaviors over time were changing in the journaling Mm. and then over time my feelings were changing. Mm. And I got clearer by the process of saying I wanted to get clearer, asking those kind of questions about clarity and then having that accountability doing it daily meant that I was reflecting on it and then, Mm. yeah, the thoughts and behaviours kind of changed after that and that's why I got the reinforcer of, wow, how powerful is this to make some changes? Um, I, like, in you just sharing that, Rachel, I can, I really get a sense of how much this has helped you and you touched on the word empowerment and I want to go down that path. I want to know how has something as journaling, but also please, you know, bring in, touch in any other things that you feel 
um, have helped you in terms of that sense of empowerment? I'm, I know that journaling is something that is very dear to your heart. So, um, yeah, tell me a little bit about how has that opened things up for you by way of empowerment? I think journaling was just the first port of call, you know. It was um, – it was what I knew. I was, I am and still are a really intellectual person who really values intelligence. So for me, that always came through hard work and writing was one of those ways I could do that. Um, but the way it became empowering was seeing the choices I was making and the, and the thought processes that I had and how I could actually change that. Mm-hmm. That became empowering. And when you become more aware of those thoughts and those feelings, you realise there's so much more to explore there than what's on that intellectual level. And I think um, that's something over time that I grew to need to trust more of. So I, I fluctuate in and out of journaling now, but that's because I'm doing a whole lot of other things that are really empowering for me. So um, meditation was another really empowering choice that I made because it allowed me to learn how to feel my feelings in my body. Um, I also became more aware of what was going on around me, the decisions I was making, how I was responding to people. Um, And with that, came so much more clarity as well about how I could change things that I was doing on a really daily basis. Meditation really um, regulated my emotions more. So it meant that I could handle conflict differently. Um, I just felt more energy to take more responsibility in my life Um, and more energy to expend on the things that were more joyful or more playful as well. So, but I think for me, empowerment really came in starting to understand who I was as a person. Mm. I think sometimes when we raise children, and this is coming from my professional lens as well, we raise children in a society, a culture, and a system which can sometimes shape to want to conform to whatever the norms are at that particular time in the world. Now, there are some benefits to that conformity in terms of, you know, getting all our children access to education, to literacy, but in sometimes the focus on those things, we forget the individuals who are behind that that are unique as they are, who have particular sense of personalities and feelings and emotions, Mm. which, um, you know, unless we're taught to really foster that and embrace that in our children, we may not foster that in the children. So um, for me, it was about coming to realise where, where did that go? Where did that Mm. part of me go that was always there? So Being a really feeling-oriented person, Mm -hmm. um, I had as a coping mechanism gone into my intelligence as Mm -hmm. a way of coping because it didn't feel safe to have all those feelings. So, But if I could think them through and solve them and um, uh, 
be successful in other areas of my life, like career and academics and achievement. Mm. Um, But what I realized over time was that was ignoring a big part of myself. So it was really about flipping the story a little bit there and going back to that feeling part of me and actually really um, exploring who she was and Mm. nurturing that. And by nurturing that, I mean doing the things that brought me closer to feeling. So mm. yoga, mm. meditation, um, even from like a sensory perspective, the kind of clothing that I was wearing, the fragrances and scents, um, water, so like baths, swimming, mm. those sorts of things that really brought me into my body allowed me to feel more. Mm. Wow. Wow. Because, you know, like I can, I really, what, you know, touching on on intelligence is what resonates with me in the way that I disconnected from myself. But you and I are not the only ones, you know, this speaks to so many because of those very things that you talked about, conformity and, and what the society generally values and so many of those things. And yeah, we all then disconnect from the feeling sense of who we are. So you've named some things that have helped you reconnect to that and um, through and, and but the things that you keep touching on are really the feelings, um, um, the feeling senses and and particularly through through clothing. like I love that idea. And yet I can relate to that, but I never thought, I never made that conscious connection that there are certain things that I will wear more, like there's soft things and then there's, there are more structured pieces of clothing that I'll wear, but the softness is what I need. Like today I'm wearing really soft pants. You're, you're wearing a beautiful soft blouse. So I find that really interesting. Um, so if I get back to feeling senses, I guess the question that comes up for me is how do these feeling senses help us more, help us get closer to who we are, help bring us closer to who we are? Why is that so important from your own experience? Yeah. Um, The word radar comes to mind for some reason, which I think is because the feeling and the emotion senses are a radar for what is sitting well with you or not well with you. Mm -hmm. So we may not actually be aware that each and every day that we are making decisions at a certain level and Mm -hmm. we can make decisions on a logical, pragmatic level that can be goal-oriented towards a particular outcome or you can make decisions on a feeling level. Now, I think this comes back to me about a cultural and a social lens. Um, We have a disempowering narrative around making decisions on a feeling level because feelings in some way can be fluctuating in the moment and unreliable. But if you understand feelings well and how they're um, giving you a radar read of a situation, Mm. it can actually be really powerful. Mm. So it's not just the feeling and the emotion, it's how you respond to it. Mm. And there's a difference between 
having a feeling and an emotion that is so big and so out of control in that moment that we make a response and a feeling and emotion that maybe has sat with you for a little bit that is trying to tell you that you need to do something differently or um, having feelings and emotions that we are creating and fostering on a daily basis that bring more pleasure and more Mm. joy. So that's in terms of bringing it closer to who we are, it's about making decisions Mm. that are more about what you need as the individual that allows you to create life you want to live Mm. and also allows you to, I guess, interact with the world around you on a, on a different level than you might've otherwise previously. Um, So yeah, I think, Feelings and emotions are so intrinsic to who we are as Mm. individuals, but they shape so much of how we respond to the world around us. It's just whether we're aware of whether that is going on or not. Um, And the only way that we can really be aware of how that is going on is by tuning into our body. Mm. Because if we stay up in the mind, in the thoughts, you won't actually really know what core emotion that thought is coming from to make those decisions Mm. that you are making. Yeah. Kind of really need to sit with that, but because that is, that is so huge. That is something that um, affects us all, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, whether we want to acknowledge feelings and emotions and how they affect us in how we respond to the world, ourselves, um, relationships, partners, family. Um, and, and, it, and it's all like the body gives us that information. Um, so where do I want to go with this? Okay. The question that comes is um, when there, because you touched on this, there's something that is we can have something big in our body. And it can be, you know, like we can really, it can be overwhelming and we can be really reactive and then we can have a sense around maybe I don't want to be in this situation or this job is no longer for me, right? But it's not at that level that it's big. Um, I guess I'm curious from your experience, Rachel, um, how do we respond to them earlier so that it doesn't take us to something big? <laughs> um, because I know that you've mentioned you're responding differently to the world since doing a lot of inner work, shall we call it, mm. through so many different ways. Um and, and because of that, you're having so much, you talked about fun and play and joy. And to me, that warms my heart to hear anyone be able to be in that space because when we do that for ourselves, we do that for the collective. So how do we, back to the question, <laughs> um, how do we not let it get so big? And if it's there below the surface, because I've had this experience recently where I felt the nudge but I maybe didn't respond to the nudge initially and then something happened because of that. Maybe I'll go into it or not. We'll see where the conversation goes. 
I think it comes down to trusting yourself. And we've talked a lot about trust, but self-trust comes from knowing and inner knowing. Um, Mm. And the inner knowing comes from being open to what you don't already know, but also knowing your body and your feelings within you Mm. and, and how, whether things sit well for you or not. Um, Responding earlier, I think it's a tricky thing because sometimes I don't know if there is, there is a a hard and fast rule for responding earlier. Sometimes we don't respond earlier because things needed to play out in a particular way. Mm -hmm. Um, but in a way we're very, humans are very practical. We, we like to see things in front of us, physically in front of us before <laughs> we make a decision or make a change. So I think sometimes we don't respond earlier unless the problem is physically sitting in front of us. But in a way it's like we want to get ahead of the problem or prevent the problem. Um, and to do that, you kind of have to come back to that inner knowing, come back to that feeling self, knowing your radar of what you need and don't need to be able to respond earlier. Because otherwise mm. it does get to that point where it does, it's physically sitting in front of you and it can be um, a health issue that we don't mm. pay attention to Um a friendship or a relationship dynamic that doesn't make you feel good anymore. Yeah. Um, and we never said anything along the way. Um, or it can be a job that we're in that we now realise when we're in that job we're not enjoying it anymore and we can physically see in front of us the lists of tasks and things that we're not feeling alive about. So I think just because humans are so practical, we just want to see it in front of us. But sometimes it's about having it in your mind how you want it to feel and be so you can respond earlier Mm. versus waiting for it to come to you as a very visible problem before we respond. Um, But that requires such focus and such awareness, Mm. you know, Um, but Humans kind of work like this. We respond to the biggest emergency in front of us. Like a really good example of this in healthcare is we 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 funnel lots of money into emergencies yeah. and the health issues that present in the hospital, yet we're putting the money into preventative well-being and healthcare so people don't end up with mm. the health conditions that put them in hospital admissions. It's it's not funded in the same way. Um so it's almost like a two-prong approach, yeah. you know. We we do just pay attention to the things that are sitting in front of us because they're the most obvious and they're saying, pay attention to me right now mm. uh, versus the other part of you which is like maybe if we pay attention to this now mm. we won't get to that point. Mm. And, it's, and the thing is it's not as forceful it's not as it's true. It's not as big and bright lights, mm. and um, it's not as much of an issue. So we don't. Yeah, that is. I mean, that analogy, Rachel, the emergency and the tertiary funding. So funding that goes into tertiary healthcare, therefore 
emergency. Um, the whole system is built on that, right? I, I don't, it really, it's no different, generally speaking, for families or relationships, right? Mm, that we kind mm. of wait for things to percolate and then we hold grudges and resentment and then there's passive aggression or there's overt aggression and, you know, um, violence. Um, and I, if I, if I think about how this has developed in my own life, so feeling it, knowing it's there, um, and to your point of playing it out, sometimes we get to see it play out. I have known something, but because it's, I mean, that part of us, it's, it isn't, it's never quite loud. Sometimes it, loud, it gets really loud if we're not attending to it. But then that's that where we need to see it, right? What I've found is that, that the playing out can often gets us closer to feeling it and trusting it. So letting it play out dealing with the situation, um, hopefully, hopefully the idea of it is, right, in, um, in the universal laws, as I'd like to think, is to get us to then trust it earlier, trust it sooner, so that we don't have to watch it play out. Um, the way that I like to think about it is actually there's no wrong or right because as long as we're learning from it, and as long as we're learning from it, then we're learning to really listen to that part of us. Mm, mm. I don't know if you wanted to share something on that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm just thinking about people who may not have had such access to wonderful knowledge that I've acquired over the years as well. But, um, you know, they might be thinking, why should I? Why should I listen to that? Like, why, mm. why should I? This sounds like a lot of effort. Why should I? And I think, well, if you don't, your body will tell you in a way that is so obvious and so drastic that you can't miss it. And our health is a really good way that this comes about. And lots of people have really adverse health events and they change their life completely afterwards mm. because their body had to get to that point to tell them that it was not okay so much so that they get really unwell. And mm. we know a lot about the links between stress and health issues, and this is a, a really good example about that. Um, but I just want to come back to letting it play out. Mm. So I think that's the practical part of us mm -hmm. that wants to see it. Like we might have a feeling sense about something that's, that's going on and we're like, well, let's kind of make a hypothesis here of what might happen. And then, okay, well, it hasn't happened yet. So mm. maybe I will just play it out and see how it goes. Mm. Um, and then sometimes, you know, your feeling sense will tell you in the beginning, this is how I think it's going to play out. You can choose if you want to listen to it or not. And then when you allow it to play out, it, in my, in my, um, experience it always plays out the way I initially felt it would mm. but I like to logically let it see like logically see how it plays out mm. so that I have the evidence uh -huh. which is the intellectual part of me it's like I want to see mm. the evidence that this is happening mm. before I make a decision mm. but then my question is well if my feeling self seems to know beforehand, why am I not listening to my feeling self? Um, and I think that comes back to what you get taught. 
to believe Mm -hmm. or what uh, socially and culturally you've been taught to believe. So um, I think this can come back into, um, I guess, historically, women haven't necessarily been taught to believe in what they know, believe in their skills, believe in their intelligence, their feeling self Mm. and their knowing. Um, So it takes a bit of time to switch that thinking from the intellectual and the logical Mm. to the other parts of you as a person um, and seeing those parts as just as powerful, Mm. uh, just as knowledgeable um, and even more influential on the outcome. Because at the end of the day, if you have those thoughts and feelings in the beginning, that shapes your behaviour anyway, which then shapes the physical outcome you end up seeing in the world in front of you anyway. Yeah. 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 Wow. There's so much to take from that, isn't it? Like we're, we're speaking to the history here, to mm. our generations of, of mothers, grandmothers, and, and so much before that. Um. But I want to bring it back. Um, I know that I'm curious now to see how your sense of empowerment, in other words, knowing who you are in this given moment at this point in your life, how that is then playing out or how that is affecting your relationships, so your intimate relationships. Mm. Um, I think that inner sense of knowing has created it is more empowerment but also responsibility comes through like i started to realize hmm. how much responsibility i wasn't taking to create the feelings i wanted to have to create the relationships that i wanted to have um i think prior to this i you know we all do this our biggest reference for how we like to be in relationship is our family. Mm. We learn how to behave from our family. We learn how to respond to feelings and emotions from our family. Um, And I guess I forgot to upgrade that system. Mm. Like people talk about it as like an operating system where you're running on Windows 97, (laughs) yet there's Windows 2009 now, you know, or something like that. that. And I just didn't upgrade the operating system because it was running, I guess people would say that subconscious level, wasn't really aware of it that I was running it. Mm. Um, So the inner knowing made me realise I wasn't taking responsibility at a conscious level because I had all this subconscious stuff decisions, behaviours, choices and feelings going on. Um, And that came with a lot of discomfort, to be Mm -hmm. honest. It was realising, wow, there's so much that I need to learn. That was beautiful, a beautiful moment. But it was also Mm -hmm. through the learning comes all the discomfort of undoing the things Mm -hmm. you don't want to do anymore. You know, it means expressing how you feel in, in situations that may or may not be met by the other person. Mm. It means um, feeling the discomfort in your body and sometimes sitting with that and Mm. accepting that rather than taking action on it. Mm. Um, It means maybe um, 
I guess, moving away from the things that no longer bring you joy and happiness, even if they bring stability, you know, or structure. Mm. Um, So it requires sitting with a lot of change and discomfort to to move through using that inner knowing and changing how your relationships work after that because it all feels – it can feel, for me, it felt very foreign. It was like I was playing on a whole new level and I didn't know where the reference point was because I hadn't had the lived experience of what it felt like Uh and looked like to have relationships at a different level than what I currently had. Mm. So then I was going out there with my, I guess, hypothesis. So I was just trying things differently and some things didn't go well and some things went well. And then it's about, okay, so I'm getting my new reference point here. Mm. But because you don't have a history of knowledge around it, sometimes you don't necessarily know whether you are doing the right things. Mm. You know, am I saying am I saying something that's true to me or am I saying something that's from my old unconscious self that might be scared and afraid? So, yeah, it's quite a hard thing to capture how it, how it plays out. That is such an important question though, isn't it? Am I saying something that is from my old self, from my programmed self or child self that is wounded or am I saying something that, what were you saying, that's from me, myself now? That's, it's, sometimes it's hard to discern that. Um, do you feel it's harder to discern that if, um, hmm, is it harder to discern that if we're kind of in that transition and maybe, you know, feeling a lot of those emotions? Is that when it's the hardest to discern that? And does it become easier as we navigate or swim through those changes or mm. sit through those changes, as you were saying, sitting with discomfort? Yeah, I think a lot of people. Um, I mean, this comes from educational research as well, but when we look at the learning arc and the growth arc, Mm. it's not this beautiful, smooth looking arc. It's often peaks, troughs, peaks, troughs, Mm. peaks, troughs. And I think that really represents what growth is. Growth isn't always this beautiful, smooth, linear line. And there's a reason for that Mm. Um, because at any point, you might be changing at different speeds. You might be doing things that are different from before. Um, and not like having a full life doesn't mean that everything is perfect and happy all the time. Our full life is the full range of emotions. Mm. So sometimes when we have these peaks and troughs, it is actually the truth about what it means to live a full human experience. Mm. Um, I'm not sure that quite answers your question, but it's what I was thinking about. Well, I I think it it does answer the question, but if I was thinking of a black and white answer, well, then I think we're just, you know, being deluded there because I I think too, and and this is, you know, it's interesting that I even ask that because we can do that to ourselves. Well, is it this or that? Is it this or that? You know, one of the things I was thinking about um, for me, what, what happens because of course, you know, I go through this quite frequently and the more that we're doing this inner work on ourselves the more that we're going to experience that so much so that sometimes we feel like sometimes I can feel like 
my world's falling apart as I've known it. And that is, that is, that can be incredibly terrifying and really testing of our own trust. Yeah. So it's, it's so easy to want to have a solution at, at those times, solution to, well, so what do we do in these situations? And I think that those are the in-betweens and, you know, is it, I wonder from your experience, is it okay to just, is it more about learning how to be with the in-betweens, how to be during those times of transitions and discomfort, even in relationships, um, which is so hard because let's say you're meeting someone and you've had, you know, Rachel, you've had experience of this where you're meeting someone, you're on a date and, um, but, but you're going through that transition, but yet, you know, maybe part of you needs to decide, is this the right, is this the right partner for me? Do I continue with this? Particularly if you're dating online, which this is our reality right now. Yeah. Um, what do you, you know, I'm back again, I'm, I'm kind of tippy-toeing in, well, we just sit with the discomfort, but then what if a decision needs to be made? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying, I'm, I'm balancing the pragmatic and yeah. the. Yeah, it's almost like a dilemma yes. in a way, right? Like how far, how far do we go into a situation that just doesn't feel right right now? Mm. Even if it's giving us learning, mm. you know, even if um, there are some perks to it. You know, mm, yeah. um, I think coming back to the, is it okay to not know? I think what I continue to learn and expand on is my ability to sit in the discomfort or my ability to sit in the growth phase. So the in-between phase, I think we all prefer to be at the resolution, at the solution, at the end goal. Um, and a lot of people talk about, you know, but all the beauty actually comes in the process and on the way to, but how much nicer is it to be at the end point Mm. where you've got the job you love or you've got the partner you are looking for, right? Cause it's so much more visible, tangible. It's there in front of you and there it is that thing that you really wanted and, and how how much you desire it. But I think part of sitting in the in-between is finding all the enjoyment without the necessary outcome being there in front of you. And that requires so much more imagination. Mm. It requires so much more um, decisions and choices to create the feeling of those things before they're even there. So um what I do much more of now is think about, well, you know, a lot of us want relationships to feel loved, to feel like we grow with someone, to um, have all those little things like cuddles on the couch or someone making a cup of tea, feeling that gentle, um, you know, being cared for. Um, but we can actually create a lot of that for ourselves even before the person arrives. So what's so nice about that is when you do go into dating situations, it's not looking for love in the other person. It's actually, I've got a lot of love here already. Mm. And wouldn't it be nice if that person is the other person? Because I think a lot of us look for love externally and not internally. Um, and that certainly was my, my journey 
was wanting to to feel loved by those around me, yet I just didn't really have a lot of um, things in place in my life that that made me feel loved. So mm. part of my dating journey was to um, create those loving experiences for myself, which meant I'm better able to sit in that in between. Because if I have a lot of love for myself, mm. then when these challenges come up, I take care of myself. Mm. My thought processes, um, you know, sometimes they can be judgmental of things that I might not have done so well, but my other thought processes are now more, you know, caring. It's okay. You've made a mistake or, um, you know, I love you, even though this is not working out right now. Mm. And, and being in that, that caring thought space is what allows me to keep going out there Mm. and showing up in my dates fully each time, like not trying to carry the previous date story that didn't go well because there are two individuals who were trying to find love generally mm. and people can be at different stages. People can want really different things and not be very explicit about what they're wanting or how they're wanting it. Um, and, you know, it's beautiful when it all comes together. But, you know, sometimes you have these experiences where it doesn't come together and and it can a part of the full experience is experiencing all that lovely feelings and emotions you might have with that new person you're dating. But there's also, okay, we weren't quite a match and it didn't quite work out. And then it's, it's allowing all those feelings and experiences as well. Yeah. Feeling that, processing that, being okay in that in-between period, the discomfort that might come with that. And then still being able to show up to that next person and be like, I'm still here. I'm mm. still looking for that, you know, are you? Wow. That is so empowering. That is really empowering and, and really goes back to what you were saying. This knowing who I am is about taking responsibility for what's going on within. And and rather than then, I guess, you know, maybe the old way or the the kind of, you know, we, we not having the awareness sometimes people can get caught up in, I need to speak to my friends about this because they need to process emotions for me. Because really, essentially, that's what's happening. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but often we vent to people or have, you know, I'm very conscious of this because I can't tolerate the pain. So I'm going to vent so you now need to process that when you go home because that's what happens, right? We offload our stuff, pain, hurt onto others and then others are left with the responsibility of processing that themselves when they leave that meeting or catch up or whatever it is. Whereas, Rachel, what, you're, what I hear you saying is taking responsibility to process if there's any hurt that's happened because Perhaps it didn't go where you hoped it would go as much as maybe you're not wanting to place those expectations by way of, you know, when we were talking, you were talking before about outcome, resolution, ideal of what might happen. And whilst that will be great, doesn't always go that way. But just to fully be able to show up in your own, you know, um, in your own robe of who you are, and to bring that to that meeting 
um, and to enjoy that for the, you know, for, for the sake of that and to let it go and evolve where it needs to go, whether it be long-term or not, that's really opening up to a lot of um, perhaps risks, some would say, but then what choices does one have, right? <laughs> I think um, the thing that stood out for me there that you said is offloading hurt and pain. Mm. A lot of us do this, me included, without even being aware that we are doing it. Um, and that shows up a lot um, in the dating experience. Um, and I mean, we only need to watch some reality TV shows to see it playing out where we really see people's child self coming through in their insecurity and in their behavior and the way that they communicate and tolerate conflict. Um, I guess what I've learned is as I've come to accept all the parts of me, the parts I love and the parts that I don't love, mm. I stopped offloading mm. onto other people as much because part of it, when you really accept all of you a little bit more, you just don't feel the need to externalise it so much. Mm. Um, and that's not to mm. say, you know, we need to internalise everything that happens to us. Of course. Um, you know, social relationships really hold a, a really important part of our lives where we can express who we are and what's going on and all the things that we're feeling and, you know, um, but really being mindful of when we are offloading and yeah. when it's happening and why it's happening. And part of responsibility is if we are offloading to acknowledge it, mm. you know, maybe apologize afterwards mm. if we offloaded in a way that we weren't proud of. Um and to take the responsibility for it and mm. realise, okay, so there's something else I need to do here. Mm. It's not that we need to move on to a new relationship. It's not that we necessarily need to move on to dating someone else. It's actually, okay, I actually need to work with that part of me first before I go out and find someone. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why um, a lot of these issues actually come out a lot later in relationships. Like we wear a lot of masks in the early dating stage, you know, where we put on best versions of ourselves in this sort mm. of um, courting process. Mm. Um, and then, you know, a lot of relationships end before the first year for that reason because it, it can get to that sort of nine-month mark. People really start to show who they are and then people think, oh, wait, that's not the person I fell in love with. Um, but by that point, we're already in love hmm. and it can be very hard to walk away when you're already in love. Um, so for me in the dating process, it's really about um, in that early phase, looking for responsibility on both parts because if I just don't want to get to a situation where we're offloading at it on each other and we're already in love. Like, wouldn't it be nice mm. if we we could recognize, hey, there are things here that we need to do um, individually so that we can continue to show up in this beautiful relationship space mm. without me making it your fault or your responsibility or attributing blame outside of you. Um, so, yeah, I think that's quite, I think for me, that feels quite radically different to do. Mm. 
Um, but it's, it's been very helpful for me to do because the way that someone handles a situation that doesn't go well mm-hmm. is the way they're going to handle a situation that doesn't go well when you're in love with them. Mm. Chances are that's not really going to change. Yeah. Um, and we can't expect them to change either. So we're really going to have to accept that part of that person as well. So, um, you know, I really start to explore that in those earlier, earlier stages and it shows up in really subtle ways. Mm. You know, it shows up in, you know, if you express that you'd like something to be a certain way, you know, maybe, you know, if they cancel plans at the last minute and they just didn't really let you know and you express a preference and you notice, oh, they didn't really hear me or they do it again in the same way. I mean, well, there's, there's something that we have to, to listen to there mm-hmm. and take responsibility for. Maybe they're just not my match. Next, mm-hmm. move on. Um, or maybe it's a situation where they're offloading a little bit, their hurt and discomfort or their insecurity or whatever about what's going on in the dating process and they um, don't take responsibility for that. And then, like you say, before you go home and you're processing that afterwards and you're thinking, I'm not sure how I was a part of this, but you still witness it and experience it. Mm. So, and that happens in the workplace as well, you know, when people um, have conflict or there's mistakes made, how we have those conversations and how people process what happens in those conversations Mm. afterwards. It's a very similar um, sort of experience because there are so many emotions that can be attached to making mistakes or mm. um, when we're building intimate connections with people. It's so true, isn't it? I, and and I, I wonder if, you know, even staying in the question, hang on, is this, is this my stuff or is this something else, you know, and not, I don't want to point fingers, but sometimes it is the other person, right? Is this, is this my stuff coming up for me or is this, you know, the the organizations or is this is this my family stuff sometimes it's not even here's here's another you know just to throw a spanner in the works is this my stuff or is this my you know family tree stuff because there are themes that run through each family's tree Mm. around whether it be you know mistakes to your point how we deal with mistakes how we deal with trauma how we deal with um loss with rejection and so on. Um, We could go on, we could go on. (laughs) But, you know, what I hear you saying is just that for you what's really important is to show up being yourself in relationships, however early, whether it's a first date, whether it's ongoing. And really to me this is the more conscious way that there are no wrongs, there are, there is no wrong or right in a relationship because everyone can give you advice on that, particularly your friends. <laughs> it may not be the best advice <laughs> because they do mean well, uh, but friends can be really emotionally invested too. Um, to just be open and know that, I don't know, there are no mistakes and there's learning always to be had. And if you're hurt, you know, this is – maybe perhaps we can finish on this. If, if you are hurt that, you know, kind of sitting with that and going, why did that hurt me or stir me or trigger me so much? What do I need to learn from this? Yeah. It does. Um, 
I think it certainly makes adverse experiences um, and events different when you look at it from that sort of lens, the growth lens, mm. because um, it's not to take away from the emotions that we can feel. Like mm. it can, it can hurt, um, or it can bring immense joy. It's it's just um, if you look at it from that sort of lens, you start to realize there is no right and wrong about how this was meant to play out. Um, but the responsibility part is, okay, in that situation, maybe I didn't say something when actually I really wanted to say something because I was afraid of saying it. And then it's, well, how is that other person meant to know how I was feeling? Cause I didn't say anything, but then it's like, okay, well, the next time that shows up for me, I'm going to be brave and I'm going to, I'm going to say something. Mm. Um, and that's where the responsibility comes in. And I guess in my experience, as I've um, taken that responsibility and moved it into the next situation, it almost always is responded to in a better way. It's, all, it's about trusting that part of you that you can say it in a really mm. healthy way, that you, you can express how you're feeling in a way where people actually want to hear you and they want to, you know, um, respond to it and do something better um, and, and just having that trust in yourself and knowing that if you have that chat or that conversation about how you feel, mm. that people, people do care. And, you know, if someone didn't care, it just means they're not the right fit for you anyway. So it's a great situation to have been in because yeah. you get clarity very quickly on that. Um, cause I guess we always want our partner to be someone who's on our side, who can understand our perspective as well as their own. Um, and who wants to know and hear how we're, how we're mm. feeling. Um, and I guess that's how, if we come back to the intention of, um, what we were talking about before about evolving, yeah. this is how it evolves. This is how we can continue to open over time. Mm. Um, is through moving through the journey and the process and changing what we're doing. I love that. Thank you for bringing me um, back to that because, yes, before you and I started our conversation, um, we said, okay, well, let's get present in, in the intention and I want to bring those um, intentions to, um, I want to name them, and the intentions were opening um, to sincerity and love and evolving um, with connectedness. So we hope that, um, you know, this has inspired you to continue to open in sin with sincerity and love and to evolve through connectedness because really there's no other way to evolve or grow. Um, Rachel, thank you so much. Thanks, Susie. Pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on Empowered Conversations. Subscribe to the show now and then head over to my Facebook page, Susie Petrozzi, for free personal growth and self-discovery tools that you can use today to be present, be powerful and be on purpose. See you next time for Empowered Conversations. Music